Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the honor to connect with Dr. Molly Malouf. She provides health optimization and personalized medicine to high-achieving entrepreneurs, investors, and tech executives. She previously taught at Stanford University and has been the advisor or consultant to more than 50 companies in the digital health, consumer health, and biotech industries. Today, we spoke at great length about metabolic health, the impact of mitochondrial health on our immune system, and specifically COVID, long-haul COVID, and chronic fatigue syndrome, the role of hormesis and how there are gender differences, the impact of exercise, VO2 max, why being sedentary is more dangerous than being overweight, trends in current medicine, nutrition, and continuous glucose monitors, and lastly, the impact of trauma as a shared experience and the way out of trauma is through spiritual growth. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. Thanks for jumping on, Dr. Malouf. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I kind of stumbled upon your work earlier this year and thought to myself, we need to have more female biohackers on the podcast talking about ways that women in particular are able to harness metabolic health in proactive ways. Well, I'm here to help. I mean, I definitely <laughs> enjoyed writing this book. It's been a life of just figuring out what is health about and how do you measure it and how do you improve it? And, you know, when I discovered the mitochondria and their role in health, I felt like I hit the Holy grail and I just finally understood why we got so sick in this country and why the world is getting sicker and sicker. And, you know, we have this energy crisis we're all going through on a macro scale and a micro scale. And the micro scale is within all of our bodies with these dysfunctional mitochondria that are a result of our modern lifestyles that are out of sync with our genetic design. And on a larger level, we're having a crisis of energy as well, right? So we're on this oil dominance path and we're trying to become energy independent. And when I really saw this relationship between energy metabolism on a micro scale and energy metabolism on a macro scale, I felt like I could really understand what's wrong with this world right now. And so what we have is this beautiful ability to take in fuel from our environment and to, in order to survive. And that's programmed within each of us. And we're very fortunate that we have this machinery for digesting carbohydrates when we can find them and being able to tap into our own fat supplies when we don't have carbs available, when they don't have food available, we can literally get into ketosis. And that's on purpose because that would keep you alive in a famine that would keep you alive. If you, you know, were on a hunt or maybe we're gathering food and there wasn't a lot of food available without being able to tap into your body's own innate capacity to create energy, you'd be dead. And at the same time, we have gotten into this place collectively where everybody is on this carb dominant lifestyle, where everyone is eating way too many carbs and way too much sugar, way too much refined carbohydrates. And we've had this obsession with fat for like literally 50 years, telling everybody that you got to eat a high carb diet, high grain diet to be healthy. 
which is just patently false. <laughs> like it was just a, a false face lie. And so we were lied to by these authorities. And as a result, we have massive amounts of toxic foods in our diet, high fructose corn syrup, refined carbohydrates, refined breads, lots and lots of processed foods, which are damaging the metabolisms of our bodies. And that in combination with never fasting, always being stressed because of this highly stressful environment we're living in because of the news cycles that feed on our natural inclination to pay attention to negativity. And we drive cars all day long. We don't bike around like we should. And so our cells are not getting the messages they need to function properly. They're getting all the messages that they should be dysfunctional. And so inflammation, I was telling one of my friends today, is this alarm signal that's going off inside your cell. It's like a there's a fire, you got to put out a fire. So we got to send an alarm out. And then oxidative stress is basically the exhaust fumes, the smoke coming out of that fiery building. And somewhere between 88% of the country is basically metabolically unhealthy, which means that they're on fire, which means they have insulin resistance, inflammation, and their bodies are not well. And this is skinny and fat. And so we've obsessed with obesity for a long time, thinking that obesity is the answer to all our problems. We just solve obesity, we'll solve our health problems, but it doesn't solve the health problems. What solves health problems is developing metabolic flexibility, developing the ability to tap into your own fat supplies, developing the ability to turn on your glucagon, turn down your insulin and gear shift. And when I figured this gear shifting thing out, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I understand what my body's meant to do. And if you eat all day long, 24 seven, you're never going to gear shift into fat metabolism. And there's a really great book on top of my book. There's a great book called brain energy. And what I love about this book is that this doctor at Harvard basically took the exact same principles in my book and applied it to mental health. So now we're basically seeing that the biggest causes of disease in our modern lifestyles, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, and mental illnesses and diseases of despair, there's a root cause of mitochondrial and metabolic dysfunction that begins in the gut. It begins in your muscles and your gut, and it's basically metabolic disease. Well, and it's interesting. I had Dr. Chris Palmer on at the tail end of 2022, and I recall meeting him last summer. And when he started telling me about the impetus for the book, I said, you realize you're going to change the narrative about how we as clinicians view mental health and metabolic disease. And he, of course, being this incredibly humble person was like, oh yeah, maybe. And it's so wonderful to see that it has really opened up these opportunities to understand this complex interrelationship. And so one of the things that I think is unique over the past three and a half years, it has all been the social experiment of, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, understanding if, but nothing else, the understanding when we're looking at people that are, have developed long haul COVID have significant mitochondrial dysfunction. And so can we kind of start the conversation speaking to what's happening? Because ironically enough, over the last several days, I kind of put out into my community that we were connecting and there were several women who are mentioning, you know, they have long haul COVID. They've got a lot of brain fog. They're otherwise young and healthy and saying to them, you know, really at the basis, the root cause of that is mitochondrial dysfunction. And you speak in the ah. book about when our mitochondria is depleted significantly, like under 50%, that's when we start seeing the sequelae. So what yeah. exactly is happening when we're looking at 
this social experiment, I'm going to put that in air quotes of the last three and a half years, what's happening to these individuals that have contracted COVID, gotten through the virus, and now they are dealing with the sequelae of symptoms that are really unmanageable for them? So what's going on is that there's a lot of people walking around with metabolic disease that don't even know they have it. And there's a lot of people walking around with gut problems and they don't even know that they have it. And they just think that it's normal to have gas and bloating. They think it's normal to have constipation or diarrhea. And I was one of those people 10 years ago. I literally had so many gut issues that I just thought it was normal to have diarrhea on a regular basis. And it was clearly related to like uh, gluten intolerance, which I believe was celiac, but I didn't get a biopsy because I didn't really feel like getting a procedure done to confirm that I was ill. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not like anti-gluten or anti-bread. I think there's a lot of parts of the world where you can eat those things. We just have a completely damaged food system in this country. <laughs> and our food system has been designed to create the conditions where food is highly preserved. And as a result, people are just eating food that is not easily metabolized and causes immune system dysregulation through the gut. So if you have that baseline immune system dysregulation from gut health issues, which legions of men and women have, you are setting yourself up for infection. You're setting yourself up. Like I literally have two friends who both got an infection. One of them took antibiotics. They got another infection, got a viral infection. And why do you think that was? Because her gut got compromised because she was taking antibiotics after antibiotics for her sinus infections. And that compromised her immune system. So legions of people are walking around with damaged immune function because they're stressed, their gut's dysfunctional, and this is naturopathic medicine 101, but yet they don't know how to fix these things. And like, if you have gut issues, you should see a naturopath or you should see a functional medicine doctor because it's literally their bread and butter. And yet so many people just exist feeling like garbage every day. And I used to be one of those people. I would eat wheat or pie or something, you know, and I would be passed out. Literally, I couldn't even keep my eyes open. I was so tired and it felt like there was this mass amount of inflammation and this huge energy drain. And I was just like, what is going on in my body? Why am I so fatigued after eating wheat and after eating sugar? And it was this glycemic roller coaster I was going on. And it was this mass amount of inflammation coming from the antibodies to gluten. So if you do have problems with, you know, like with long COVID, the first thing you got to ask yourself is how healthy were you to begin with? you know, you may not have been in as good of a state of health as you thought. Typically what I see when people get sick with chronic fatigue or chronic COVID, by the way, like I studied viruses in the summer of 2019. And I was like, oh, who knew that viruses caused chronic fatigue syndrome? And I was like, this is not like this big mystical pathology anymore. Like we know the answer. When infections get inside the cell, they hijack the metabolic machinery and they use your metabolic machinery to make themselves And then sometimes they break open the cell and cause damage to the body. So it's no fun getting a virus. And when a lot of people use antibiotics to treat viruses, they damage their immune function and their gut and they get hit with more infections. So when you have chronic COVID or you have a bad case of COVID, you got to tune the mitochondria back to normal. And it's not an easy process. It's expensive, it's time consuming, and there's no easy fix. But the big tools in the toolbox, the sort of power tools that I would turn to would be in acute COVID, I would do ozone. And then as you're getting better from COVID, I would do HBOT. Ozone is basically when you feed ozone into blood and you basically, it's called 10 pass, or I did four passes. I didn't have time to do 10 pass, but you basically take the blood out of the body. You mix it with ozone, put it back in and it gets super bright red. 
And you feel so much more energy because you're getting all this oxygen in your body. And you're also getting that ozone into this insides of the cells. And when you get ozone inside the cell, that's where it can affect the viruses. And then HBOT, what it does is it flips this switch of pressure. And so high pressure to low pressure is a switch that activates hypoxic inducible factor, which is a basically a survival mechanism in the cell to like amplify your body's capacity to thrive amidst a challenge, which if you were to be like living in an altitude, you would want hypoxia inducible factor to turn on so that your body could actually better adapt to that high pressure state. So what we're doing is we're trying to teach the body to do these switches to actually toggle back and forth between high pressure, low pressure, between high oxygen, low oxygen, between like carbs, between fasting and feasting, between exercise and recovery. You got to be really careful with exercise after you get sick, because a lot of people have exercise intolerance because they've literally damaged their mitochondria and they just can't do the same kind of exercise. So like I couldn't do as intensive exercise after I got COVID last year and I slowly ramped it up. But I needed to fix those mitochondria that were broken. So I did five days of NAD therapy using what's called the Conover protocol. And it involves a large amount of niacin flush after you get an hour of NAD therapy. So you get this massive vitamin push and you just get flushed with niacin. And whether the niacin or the NAD did it, I felt like 20 again, which was amazing. So I do that with my friend in Sedona. And then there's a bunch of supplements that you can take, you know, to during sickness, right? So like one of my friends has COVID right now and I'm like, let's mega dose you on pharmaceutical grade omegas. And like, why would I mega dose pharmaceutical grade omegas? Well, they have pro-resolvent mediators. They're one of the most potent anti-inflammatories you can find. Now, whether your doctor will prescribe you a prescription grade pharmaceutical grade omega is another question. But in my case, I get mine from Norway. There's a brand that's not available in America that I get from Norway. And it's just like, you got to throw whatever you can at this inflammation. N-acetylcysteine is a particularly good supplement. Hard to get sometimes because the FDA is kind of starting to regulate it, but it's great for clearing mucus and increasing glutathione, which we know is a problem in the lungs when someone's sick with COVID. And so you got to do everything you can to dampen down that inflammation. You know, if you can get walks in, try not to get deconditioned because deconditioning will really wreak havoc on your body. And just being in bed for a few days, you'll lose a lot of VO2 max. So I still exercised like within a few days of getting COVID and I just forced myself to, and I don't know if everybody would be as ballsy as me. I just understand that if I don't move my body, then my mitochondria are going to suffer. And so I kept exercising even when I was like really stressed out last year. And you have to be really compassionate to yourself when you're sick, you know, like you got to take the time off to heal. And in my case, I didn't have a lot of time to heal, but I definitely started doing all these things except for, I didn't do HBOT because I didn't have access to it. I did have some blood sugar dysregulation as a result of COVID. And I did do a little bit of MOTC peptide and Ozempic, and it really did fix the glucose intolerance, but it also dropped my blood sugar so low that I got panic attacks. So I had to stop that because I was really imbalanced. It was really crazy how imbalanced I was because of that Ozempic. So I'm just like, it may be a useful tool in the toolbox, but be careful with peptides. They can, they can be really powerful. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, 
exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. 
I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think it was Dom D'Agostino when he got COVID, he was actually trending the degree of insulin resistance he was experiencing. And here's this incredibly metabolically healthy man. And he was showing over like a three month period of time and he was sharing this publicly. So there's nothing I'm sharing that's disclosing information that he wasn't already doing. And it just goes to show you post COVID, many, many people are experiencing a degree of insulin resistance for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar with hyperbaric oxygen. Could you kind of touch on or explain what it is? I think for many people that probably seems really intangible, but I think it's also really interesting, the science behind how it is helpful for mitochondrial dysfunction. So hyperbaric oxygen puts oxygen under high pressure and under that high pressure, you hyperoxygenate the cells. And then when you relieve the pressure slowly, that sends the signal that there's a big difference in pressure and oxygen. That sends the signal to the mitochondria to start inducing repair and to start inducing repair pathways through things like hypoxia inducible factor. And so when I was like studying HBOT and mitochondria, I was like, what exactly is this all about? You know, like, but it basically, it creates stress on the mitochondria, which will make them stronger. It's what's called hormesis. So a little bit of stress on the body is going to make you stronger. And what it does is that it actually increases antioxidant defense systems, which are in the mitochondria. And you know, that's generally the gist of it, but it's short-term stress on the body to like induce the body's capacity to heal itself. And that's super helpful because I think, you know, most of my listeners are very familiar with the term hormesis and hormetic stress, you know, in the right amount at the right time. So because we're talking around hormesis, and this is so important for understanding why, you know, things like intermittent fasting or exercise or certain types of foods are so beneficial Let's talk about hormesis and in particular females, because I have a lot of females that I interact with online and the mindset is if a little bit of hormesis is good, more is better. And what I'm hearing from you and from reading in your book is really helping women understand, especially women that are still at peak fertile years, women who have not yet gone through menopause, really being mindful about the degree of stress they're putting their bodies under in order to evoke a response. Yeah. So the thing is, is like, I wrote this book because I made a bunch of mistakes myself and I wanted women to know that like, you're not a man and you shouldn't try to be one. And so what I've learned is that a gentler approach to hormesis for women works much better than an incredibly ambitious approach. And I've seen more than one of my girlfriends who are naturally lean, start doing ketosis, fasting and training and sauna and weight training all at once. And don't get me wrong. Like you can layer those things. Like I definitely have done that in short spurts, but if you do that every day, it's a totally different story. So you have a stress cup, right? And like, you don't want to overflow your stress cup. You want it to be, you want to have a little bit enough stress that it's like makes you stronger. But if you fill this thing all the way, then you will overflow. And that's what happens to women when they under eat over exercise, over stress and end up having hormone dysfunction. So I've seen this in 
the sort of lean young women, I've seen this in bodybuilding women where they're just pushing their body like a man's and not honoring their cycles and kind of not really giving themselves the capacity to recover from all these stresses. And women really need recovery from stress. And we don't really give ourselves enough of that. And so anyone who's like met someone who basically like was really struggling with weight loss, in particular, a lot of women really struggle with weight loss. And if you've met anyone who's a woman who's really struggled with weight loss, usually if you ask them like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm doing everything. I'm weight training. I'm hit training. I'm like doing all these things and I'm just not getting better. And it's like, well, the reason why you're not losing weight is because your body has under so much stress. It needs to hold on to that weight because it's afraid, it's scared. It needs to feel safe. And yeah. So like long story short, like if you want to be super fit and strong, you've got to give your body enough stress, but not so much that it causes you to break down and relative energy deficiency of sport is super common in women who are very fit and very strong and they're not eating enough. And so you just got to make sure to fuel your body. And like, I've been doing a bit of reverse dieting where some weeks I'll just, I do a lot of things that basically send, I do kind of like what I call metabolic cross training. So I'll go through phases where I'll do high carb and then I'll do low carb. And I'll go through phases where I do higher calories or lower calories, but I'm not sending the same signals to my body every single week because by changing up these amounts of food and by changing up the actual types of food that I consume, my cells learn to adapt to different demands. That alongside exercise builds a lot of metabolic flexibility. So like last week I was visiting a friend in Jackson Hole and eating way higher carb and doing more low intensity cardio. And I came back like two pounds lighter, you know, in a week. And it was like, oh, cool. And then this week I got back into my weight training regimen and I'm getting back into my higher protein on those days where I weight train. And I found that like some weeks I'm going to push myself really hard in the gym. And then some weeks I'm going to give myself a little bit less intensity and maybe more low intensity cardio, maybe just more relaxed stuff. And by sending different signals to my body and getting a lot of rest in between these periods of intensity versus relaxation, my body's just in the best shape of its life. You know, like I'm literally could not be happier with my body right now. And it's just so cool to know that like there's solutions to this stuff now. Like we actually have answers. And if you're looking for a program to follow, I mean, my book is really about first principles of health. It's about like understanding the base of how does your body work? How does metabolic health work? Well, and I think it's really important for women. And it sounds like part of what you're doing with, you know, cycling your carbohydrates, differentiating the types of exercise that you're doing, that you're doing some degree of, or some support around your menstrual cycle. So probably during your luteal phase versus your follicular phase. And, yeah. you know, I'm in my yeah. follicular phase right now. So I'm feeling like full force. Let's go, let's go into the gym and let's work out. But last week I was in my menstrual phase and I was like, I'm going to be lower energy. I'm going to be more chill. I'm going to be more relaxed. And like, I let myself take some naps last week and it was really nice for my nervous system. Yeah. I think it's really important to honor that. And where do you think the tipping point is when we're talking about women that are overdoing it and looking at the impact of overtraining, overtracking, orthorexia, orthosomnia, like now that we have all these amazing activity trackers 
metrics with aura rings, et cetera, I think people can sometimes get to a point. I think it starts off well-meaning, but women in particular can get to a point where they are over obsessing over every single detail, like to the point where they can't leave their house. They don't want to eat out. They don't want to eat with friends. Orthorexia really sucks. Honestly, it's a real shame that a lot of people super get stuck in this idea of believing that there's some sort of perfect health that they're trying to achieve. When I gave up perfection during the pandemic, it was really the first step on the path of true body acceptance for me. And it was like this realization, like I was like 10 pounds heavier. It was actually 15 pounds heavier than I am now, maybe like 12 pounds heavier than I am now, which a lot of people are like 12 pounds, big deal. But for me, I mean, I'm five, five, that's a big amount of weight. And I was so hard on myself. And then I was like, I woke up one day and I was like, why am I being so hard on myself? My body's trying to protect me. My body's here to protect me. And this is my body's way of saying, I'm here to take care of you, you know? And so there's this magical adaptive capacity within each of us to survive danger. And holding on to weight is one of those ways we do that. And adjusting our thermostats through our thyroid is another way that we do that. And I just think it's now so magical that our bodies have this capacity to take care of us. And I don't look at my body fluctuating with weight as much as a problem. And as much as it's like, oh, I'm noticing my body is trying to protect me right now. You know, how amazing that my bodies can do this for me. And instead of trying to force myself into a size, I'm kind of letting my body like do what it needs to do to get strong and fit and not be stressed about it. And that has taken me 39 years. (laughs) I really, 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 really wish that when I was 19 years old, I could have had this attitude or 29 years old or even nine years old. And if there's women out there listening to this, know that there is a path where you can be free of this orthorexic attitude, but you do need to take off some of the trackers for a period of time. If you're finding that you're so obsessed with your metrics that you're not able to actually live a normal life. Like I eat like things that I want to eat when I'm out with friends, you know, I'm going to enjoy and savor things that are delicious, that are things I don't normally consume. I ate a lot more carbs last week than I normally eat. And I came back leaner and I was like, cool, maybe this is something I should pay attention to. And so just keep in mind that like, you have to be a human and you have to live your life and you really don't want to ever sacrifice human connection for food and for a perfect lifestyle because human connection is the path to health. And when you have lots and lots of positive human connection, your nervous system starts to feel more safe. And that's a big part of the book is teaching people that connection is part of health and you can't ignore it. It's a really important part of health. And so you really should spend as much time with your friends as you can. And like, yeah, you might have some, I I don't eat wheat and I'm not going to eat wheat if I'm with people, but that doesn't stop me from seeing people. doesn't stop me me from hanging out with people. Yeah. I'm not going to eat pancakes at a pancake breakfast, but I am going to say hi to my friends and, you know, like order some eggs. Well, and it sounds like you are in a position and a point of happiness with where you are in your life and with your body and and how healthy you are. And I agree with you. I have women that I've told you have to take your CGM off. You need to stop wearing your aura ring for a period of time because the amount of anxiety it was provoking, like they would live and die by whatever the number was on their aura ring. Like, oh, I didn't get an hour and a half of deep sleep. You know, my sleep is wrecked. I was like, no, how do you feel? Let's check in with yourself first and not worry as much about the metrics. Now let's pivot a little bit because you you say something in the book that really stood out to me. You said, being sedentary is as dangerous, is more dangerous than being overweight. Let's unpack that because I think that's really important. I fervently believe, you know, certainly 
you know, my patients, you know, I would tell them, you know, if you do nothing else, just be cognizant of how much movement you have in your day, because there's this thought process that if you go to the gym and you do CrossFit or Orange Theory Fitness or Intense Hit, and then you sit on your bum for the rest of the day, that that's okay. And I think a lot of what we as a culture don't understand is that we're becoming increasingly less physically active and that has a huge net impact on metabolic health. Yeah. I mean, I have a treadmill desk underneath here that I'm intending to use more often than I am, but it is one of those things where you basically have to recognize that your cells are kind of like engines on idle when you're sitting all day long, which means that you're in a garage and you're letting all that exhaust fume build up in your body, which is not great for your blood vessels. And it's blood vessel health that is really tied to longevity. And so it's so, so, so important that you don't ignore the fact that sitting is not your natural design. You're, you're just really supposed to be moving your body. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't just don't pay attention to. They're just like, so used to sitting and sitting and sitting. And it's like, no, you actually need to, you really actually need to move your body. Well, and it's interesting because many people don't realize that actually being physically inactive actually exacerbates this low mitochondrial output, exacerbates a lot of these chronic things that we're talking about. So more often than not, when people are not physically active, it'll lead to more fatigue, less energy, and exercise in and of itself helps increase mitochondrial output, upregulates autophagy, you know, helps with BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And so I think that exercise for so many of us, and also understanding that our muscles are actually where insulin resistance actually starts. So, you know, most of my kind of, I would say my community are women in perimenopause and menopause. And I know you kind of touch on this in the book, but helping them understand, like, we don't want to be losing muscle. We want to do everything we can to help preserve it. And that's why exercise movement and strength training are so helpful. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that there's another thing that people need to understand about movement. And that's that your cells need the signal to make more energy or they make less. And so sedentary behavior in particular, especially with people who don't exercise is super damaging because you're basically sending the signal to your cell that you don't need to make more energy. You're like, all right, I'm going to stop producing so many mitochondria because why should I have so many mitochondria? And what happens is, is that your muscles are supposed to be eating glucose. And if you're not eating the glucose, because you're not using your muscles, then, which by the way, when you're exercising and you use glucose, you don't need insulin. So it's a very conducive to good metabolic health to exercise because you don't actually need insulin to bring in fuel. And what's really neat about exercise is that you're sending these signals to your cells to make more energy and you're building your muscle sinks. Your muscles are basically power packs of mitochondria and they're like, they're power plants, you know? And if you have nice, strong muscles, you don't have as much fat, fatty infiltration of those muscles which contributes to metabolic disease and metabolic dysfunction. And it's better for your liver health because you're draining that glycogen. And the more you drain your glycogen and the the more space you have to put glucose in and the less fat builds up because when you have excess fuel in your body, it's got to do something with it. Where does it go? Well, if you have excess fuel in your body that you're not using, it leaks into your viscera and it starts surrounding your organs and it gets stuck in your muscles And it's like, it literally makes your muscles really marbly, which is not what you want. You don't want a bunch of marbled muscles. You want to have really strong red muscles on cross-section. And when people get older, they just get fattier muscles and fattier livers. And fatty liver is now contributing to more liver transplants than alcoholism. 
That's unbelievable. I'm, I'm in the midst of reading Peter Atia's new book, and I'm in the section talking about fructose and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and understanding that, you know, how fructose is so damaging to not only, you know, our health, but helping people understand that, you know, not everyone who develops non-alcoholic fatty liver disease will go on to develop cirrhosis, which is, you know, a bad outcome for your liver, but helping people understand that, you know, much of what we're seeing in terms of liver related metabolic disease is a byproduct of what we're doing, not only with physical activity, but also dietary choices, kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, a lot of processed carbohydrates, not enough protein, wrong types of fats, et cetera. Now, before we kind of wrap up around exercise, you do talk about VO2 max, and this is a topic I probably have not spoken about on the podcast. What is the significance of VO2 max? Why should people have a sense of what that number or that metric is to give them a sense of how well they are? You know, we're all aging, but in terms of our longevity, metabolic health. Well, VO2 max is the oxygen carrying capacity of the cell. And so how well your cells can carry oxygen and deliver that to the mitochondria is kind of like how good your engines are tuned and you need oxygen to burn fuel, to make energy. So we breathe air, we eat food, and then we take the food and we turn it into substrates through our our digestion. So we break it all apart. We absorb it. And then it goes into the cells as acetyl-CoA. And when it gets into the cell, we need oxygen to burn that fuel. And if you don't have a good amount of oxygen in your body and you don't have good oxygen carrying capacity, you're just not going to have efficient metabolism. It's like so funny. Cause like it literally has taken me so long to understand this, but it's so simple. It's like, you literally need oxygen to burn fire. Right. And your metabolisms are like, they're cauldrons of, you know, burning energy you need to create body heat and to create actual energy and charge. So without enough oxygen, you're just not going to have a a great metabolism. This is another reason why people feel so good when they really get into exercise, because you're literally oxygenating your body because you're getting that blood flow and blood flow is amazing. You know, it makes you feel incredible when you have great blood flow. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my 
Everyday Wellness Community, where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some circumstances, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I want to introduce you to a product by Air Doctor that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that have the potential to go on and make us sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day, breathe-easy, money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorbro.com and use code CYNTHIA. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 in value. Look at the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Cynthia. I absolutely love my air filters. They're an integral component to ensuring that the air that my family breathes in our home is as safe as possible. Well, and I think for those of us that, you know, at one point worked in clinical medicine, have left clinical medicine, are now entrepreneurs, I tell my husband all the time, like if I don't get my exercise in when I get up in the morning, because that's my kind of opportunity to do it, it doesn't set the tone right for the rest of the day. So it is a huge priority. And I think for many, many people, they just realize they feel so much better, not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is that they're doing, our bodies are conditioned to move. They're not conditioned to be sedentary. So when we're talking about nutrition, and I know you've kind of alluded to the fact that you have kind of a cyclical, as you said, reverse dieting, kind of carb cycling philosophy. Do you feel like there's one kind of prevailing methodology or approach to nutrition, or I probably should phrase it differently. Are there things we should avoid in our diets for health sake? Because I know a lot of people assume that I'm all about ketogenic diets or low carb diets. And I always say, no, I'm I'm more about enough protein, the right types of carbs, the right types of healthy fats. But through your work in writing this book, do you have kind of a prevailing theme for yourself that you recommend to your clients and your patients? Yeah. I mean, I'm just generally speaking, more of a low carb eater because if I eat super high carb, I get like the bigger thing for me is grains and legumes in this, in like in America, I seem to do okay with some legumes. I'll do okay with some beans, some lentils, but like they have to be cooked properly and they need to be like pressure cooked. So the lectins are destroyed or soaked properly beforehand. I do like protein, but I also, like I said, like it's really a paleo diet really. So it's meats, vegetables, fish, poultry, nuts, seeds, fruits, and vegetables, a lot of roots and berries in particular, and leafy greens. 
cruciferous vegetables. The big problem I see for a lot of people is because there's so much gut dysfunction. And oh, and I, by the way, I do do some dairy and eggs. I like reintroduced dairy because my body said it wanted some, but I didn't do dairy for a long time because I just didn't feel it. Didn't feel I needed it, but I do a little bit of dairy now, mostly sheep's and goat's milk cheeses in particular, but I have a pretty diverse diet and I really, really started emphasizing more vegetables in the spring of this year because my body was like, yeah, you need to eat more vegetables. You need to like increase your alkalinity a little bit. I was getting a little too acidic on my labs. And so I just started eating a plate of vegetables with a ton of really high quality olive oil from Italy and just making a plate of that every day. And so I was adding like four servings of vegetables to my diet. You know, I'd already been eating vegetables, but I hadn't been eating enough. So I just started adding my vegetable, more vegetables to my diet. And that's really the foundation is, is protein and vegetables. And then I do like fruit and I have like um, some really tasty meme sapote in my fridge right now. So before we started this podcast, I did my, like, this is my naughty thing that I do is I eat like meme sapote with pecan butter on top of it. It's definitely not the healthiest. I mean, it's like high fat, high carb, but it's like eating a dessert. Basically. It's like, I'm having like a natural dessert. It tastes like a vegan dessert. It's like so tasty, but if you're going to have dessert, you might as well eat something that's like whole food. You know, I make bliss balls out of, you know, different nuts and fruits like figs or, or dates. And I'll make like bliss balls and just have those in the fridge to pop out for some extra energy when I need some. And sometimes I'll put like adaptogens in them. I do a lot of matcha, but in my matcha, I add so the tahini goddess brand has like really good inulin. So I added inulin, I add collagen, I add this weird product called cell food that they sent me, which is supposed to make things more hydrating. I add a little bit of stevia. And I think that's mostly what I add to the the matcha mix. And then I use like an almond milk and I make this into like my own like matcha blend. And I was going to like the, you know, coffee shop spending $7 on a matcha. And I was like, I could just buy the matcha that they have and make my own barista blend. And I've made it for friends. And they're like, why does this make my stomach feel so good? And I'm like, cause I put a lot of nourishing things for your stomach in it. <laughs> so to me, my kitchen is a medicine cabinet and I'm always like, you know, making potions and making things in my kitchen to nourish my body. So if you look at my fridge, there's like a whole drawer of like random medicines and I've got like NAD patches, I've got BPC 157, I've got some leftover peptides, and then it's mostly fruits and vegetables. And then my freezer is packed with really healthy meat from friends with the rancher. So to me, paleo diets just work really great. And I put almost everybody on that kind of diet, unless I see that they would be better adapted to, you know, eating a more vegetarian, vegan diet. I had a friend who was vegetarian, vegan during a pregnancy, and she got so anemic and really wasn't gaining the weight she needed to gain. And she, I asked her, do you think that your pregnancy was, you know, affected by your diet? And she's like, absolutely. Until I started eating meat, I really wasn't putting weight on. And I think that my baby was underweight because I just was eating a vegetarian, vegan diet. So, so important to people to realize, like, you know, you got to get, you got to get the building blocks of the body. You know, you just got to do it. And at the same time, I'm really not a believer in the carnivore diet. I just think that the people who are subscribing to the carnivore concept are people that have clearly got damaged microbiomes and all of the evidence suggests that you need a diverse diet for a healthy microbiome. So the more I try to get like 30 different types of plant matter in my body a week, and that's including spices, herbs. I have like four different types of herbs in my fridge that I bought at the store. I bought sage, thyme, rosemary, dill, just adding herbs to your recipes, 
adding spices to your recipes. You can easily get like 10 different types of plants and then you can just like buy fruits and vegetables. And so I've got carrots, peppers, eggplants, squash, zucchini, sapote, you know, celery, watermelon, radish, lemons, limes, you know, all sorts of, I've got broccoli rob. I'm trying to think what else is in my fridge. I've got all these different vegetables in my fridge. And I do feel like when I'm cooking for myself, this, you know, it's just way more affordable and I feel way healthier when I'm making my own food. So that's, I really should write a diet book, but it's like, it's got, it needs to teach people how to adjust based on their individuality. So that's the thing I want to do. I think I would love to write a book on like personalized nutrition. Like how do you personalize your diet? I put a lot of it in my book, but it needs, I need like a how-to version as the next book. Well, and I think for a lot of people that are listening, they're hearing common themes. You know, we had Dr. Robin Chutkin on a few weeks ago and she talked about the 30 plant varieties and people were like, oh my God. And she was like, before you freak out, that includes herbs and spices and all these other things that many of us don't realize. It sounds like you have a really great variety. Curious for you. I feel really good and my labs look better than they've ever looked. Yeah. And I think kind of leaning into what your body is intuitively telling you. Like I go through periods of time where I'm obsessed with one, like right now it's shishito peppers for whatever reason, shishito peppers, maybe I need some vitamin C, but I mean, I'm grilling them and I love them. And they remind me of, they're much larger here in the United States than they are in Spain, but they're delicious. Like I could go through bags and bags of shishito peppers. They're delicious. And every once in a while you get a really spicy one. But when we're talking about kind of different philosophies about nutrition. I agree with you. I think carnivore for people, like I know for myself, I was hospitalized in 2019 for 13 days. And after a lot of antibiotics and a ruptured appendix and a bunch of side effects, I was on, that was the only thing my body could handle, but I missed vegetables. And when I started reincorporating them back into my diet, it made me realize that for me personally, I do a whole lot better with you know, protein centric, lots of non-starchy vegetables. That's really where my body is really feeling really good. Now let's talk a little bit about metabolism. And I know something that you and I both embrace continuous glucose monitors or glucometers, how valuable they can be for determining, you know, how stress impacts our blood sugar, how sleep impacts it, nutritional choices, where we are in our menstrual cycle. Let's talk a little bit about some of your hacks for helping to lower blood sugar. What are some of your favorites? I know we've talked about like walking after meals, but do you have other, and I know you talk about some of this in the book, but what are some of your favorite ways to help lower blood sugar response? I would say that the big one is start. I mean, this is a simple stuff, right? Like it's stuff that the glucose goddess talks about, but I've been talking about for years, which is first and foremost, put a blood sugar monitor on, see what spikes you find out where you have a problem before you go out and change behavior start experimenting with like different food order, like eating your vegetables first, protein second, your carbs last, really cutting back on refined carbohydrates and sugar, apple cider vinegar before meals, berberine with every meal. If you really struggle with blood sugar issues, I like it more than, than like metformin. It, what it's doing is fixing metabolic issues through the microbiome. So a lot of people have insulin resistance, but it's just because their microbiome isn't healthy. So they need to fix their microbiome. And I mean, I have a whole bunch of things on my list in my book. I'd have to go look up, but the big ones are, you know, weight training, you know, getting enough weight training in is really such a key, key, key solution to like, I started doing glute training and it has made my body so much more metabolically healthy just by getting my glutes big, like my, your glutes are your biggest muscle in your body. So you really do need to pay attention to your glutes. 
Well, and I love that you brought that up because I think many women are always, and I say many women, I'm going to just say, I'm going to paraphrase that people are like fearful. They're suddenly going to look like they have too much muscle and it's just physiologically, unless you're taking anabolic steroids, that's not going to happen. But I do think it's important for people to do those large muscle groups. It's a lot of bang for your buck. That's why I do legs twice a week. That's how important I think it is. And so as we kind of wind down our conversation today, I would love to kind of touch on metabolism and emotional health. You've kind of talked around it, but I do know you do a particularly good job of this in the book, talking about the role of, you know, ACE versus PCA. So protective child experiences, guts. I think these are some of these terms my listeners are definitely familiarized with, but the net impact of these on our metabolic health, it's very much tied together. And I think there's more and more of obviously Gabor Mate talking about trauma, trauma response, but helping people understand that things that you've experienced in your lifetime can have a net impact on your emotional health as well as your metabolic health. Yeah. So I've been talking a lot about this lately because like one of the things that I think is really unfortunate is that there's so much sexual trauma in this world that's not talked about. And when you can learn to lift shame around trauma, it's the first step to your healing. So I just really think it's so important for women and men with trauma to get help for it. And I'm so excited about MDMA assisted therapy coming to the world because the greatest cause of of PTSD is sexual trauma. And it's so pervasive in our society that it really is a huge issue. And a lot of people just don't know where to begin their healing journey. And there's also just trauma from relationships, right? Like just being in challenging relationships that were harmful that can really create the conditions for people to be really hurt and fearful of getting involved with new relationships. And so it's really important that people heal from those problems, but then there's also social injury from childhood. And, you know, a lot of kids were abused or neglected or unloved and weren't taken care of. There's a lot of human trafficking in the world that is just horrific. And there's a new documentary I just heard about that just came out. It's getting a lot of attention, but um, I'm a firm believer that the path to healing trauma is not just a psychological healing, even though EMDR and CBT and somatic experiencing and, you know, some of these psychedelic therapies are useful to me. The real treatment for trauma is spiritual growth. And it's really committing to, you know, a higher purpose and higher God, whether you believe in God or not. Like to me, that's how you heal from real deep pain. And so a lot of people just don't want to go there because they're just not, they're right. There's a lot of atheism out in the world, but I think that there's an incredible amount of healing capacity. If you tap into something much greater than yourself. And that's something that I never would have said 10 years ago, but because my own healing journey and my own ability to overcome, you know, challenges. I'm just so convinced that humans are so much more capable of healing than we ever realized. Attachment work is something that a lot of people should be doing and they're not doing, especially if they did have, you know, challenging upbringings. It's so important to do attachment work with yourself and maybe even your parents, if they're still alive and your partners, if they're around. And I just think that when you have any social injuries that can create the conditions for attachment issues. And so it's so important to turn towards people when you want to turn away from them. And yeah, like that's definitely part of the journey. Well, thank you so much. I think it's such a great way to kind of end the conversation today. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to purchase your book, how to find you on social media. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm on social media at drmolly.co. That's my Instagram and my website, drmolly.co. I am launching a program for sexual health optimization called Adamo. 
And it is Adamo means to fall in love in Latin. So my company has created a new sex therapy that is designed to increase sexual function, decrease sexual dysfunction, increase feelings of love within and between individuals and help enhance secure attachment. So we're in this process of developing a beta. If you're curious about it, you can drop me an email, molly at adamobioscience.com, M-O-L-L-Y at A-D-A-M-O-B-I-O-S-E-I-E-N-C-E. I I need to change that website, adamobioscience.com. And I'd love to tell more people about it because it's going to launch this year. That sounds very exciting. And thank you for you know, making individuals talk about things that at times uh, make us uncomfortable, but that's the way that we heal is when we open the opportunity to have those discussions. I would also add that if people are interested in really digging deep into the science of this book that I've written, The Spark Factor, I have an online course that is like a college level course on health optimization. And it's really from this first principles approach to mitochondrial function. So it's a really comprehensive course. I taught at Stanford and I turned it into an online course. And so you can get that at yourhealthspanjourney.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. 